On January 14, 1989, a tragedy struck the city of Keene, New Hampshire. At 2.25 a.m., a fire was reported at 88 High Street in Keene, New Hampshire. This suspicious fire ended up killing four people, all from the same family. Fifteen others in the apartment building that night were lucky and able to escape. Only the Heine family didn't make it out. This is Caitlin. You're listening to A Family Tragedy. The Heine family, a husband, wife, and two kids were all living in the apartment in Keene at the time. All ended up dying from smoke inhalation from the fire. Carl Heine, the father, was found dead at the scene when help arrived. Lori, the wife, Lillian, and Sarah Heine, the two children, were taken to Cheshire Medical Center. They, too, died later that night. While the fire was first thought to be an accident caused by smoking materials, after further investigation, that seemed to not be the case. But before we get into that, let me introduce you to the family. Carl and Lori Heine were newlyweds living together in their keen apartment at the time of the fire. Also living with them was their four-month-old daughter Lillian and Carl's 12-year-old daughter Sarah from a previous relationship. The newlyweds had gotten married December 31st, 1988, not even a full month before the tragic fire. Carl R. Heine was 49 at the time of the fire. He was a taxi driver who worked hard to support his family. Elaine Perry of Swansea, New Hampshire, who was previously engaged to Carl for a year and a half in the 80s and stayed good friends with him after their relationship ended, was quoted in a local newspaper saying, quote, He was a good man. He would do anything for anybody. Never hurt anybody that I know of. I mean, he was a really nice person. End quote. Elaine's daughter, Teresa Labarge, said, quote, She looked up to Heine as a father figure and remembered him as a hardworking man who loved to fish. End quote. Teresa was just left wondering why. Why would someone do this to a family? Quote, I just want to know the reasoning behind it. You know, why, Labarge said. It was a mother, father, 12-year-old, and a four-month-old baby. Why? End quote. While I was able to find some information on Carl Heine, unfortunately, after extensive research, I could not find any information about Lori Heine, who was 26 at the time of her death. In an interview with Lori's mother, she expressed her sadness and said she missed her greatly. There was also no information on the children, Sarah and Lillian. Let's go back to the night of the fire. This information came from an Associated Press article written back in 2010. Elizabeth Kennedy, who was living in the apartment building at the time of the fire, recalls that night 21 years later. That night, Elizabeth and her boyfriend were in their apartment playing cribbage. They lived on the second floor in an apartment right next door to the Heinas. Elizabeth and her boyfriend recall hearing a loud thump in the hallway, then someone yelling, quote, fire, I'm not kidding, end quote. While her boyfriend went to the fire escape to call 911, Elizabeth went next door to try and help the Heine family get out of the building. She tried to help Sarah Heine escape the fire, but Sarah went back to try to save her parents and her baby sister. Quote, 
I grabbed Sarah and tried getting her out, and she pulled away, she said. I couldn't do anything more but go downstairs because the smoke was too heavy, end quote. Initially on that night, fire marshals declared the fire an accident caused by a woman falling asleep on the couch with a lit cigarette. Just two weeks later, they said it was started by an open flame, but did not want to call the fire arson. A month after that, prosecutors said they suspected there would be no arrests, and there weren't. But the case was still considered suspicious. In 2009, New Hampshire launched a cold case unit, establishing designated investigators who would tackle some of the state's unsolved crimes and missing persons cases. One of the first cases they revisited was the Heine tragedy. Up until that point, investigators had little information because many witnesses didn't want to talk. So the case went cold for more than two decades. Here's Senior Assistant Attorney General Benagotti from the Cold Case Unit. Investigations. Uh, when a case comes on to the cold case unit, uh, one of the first things is that they will sit down and try to make a review of everything that is there. They try to make a regular review of the cases that are there um, in the unit. Not every case is getting worked on every single day. Um, if we did that, they'd basically be spinning their wheels and not actually making traction. So certain cases may have a focus for a time when a tip comes in, new piece of information, or it's one that they are in the midst of doing a review. Um, so things kind of rotate in and out depending on the information that they have. But they try to apply the best techniques and the best review of what's there to see is there something, maybe not that was missed, but is there something that's changed, something that's new, something that hasn't been thought of before, but could be done now. Um, a lot of times, a lot of times, new information comes in when a relationship has changed, that the relationship today is not the same as what it was back then whenever the homicide occurred. Uh, let's say that you have a couple and they have now split. Um, whether they, you know, whether they were married or not, not doesn't matter, but somebody that was in just even a, a relationship, a friendly relationship. And now that friendship has broken apart. Now somebody is willing to be a little bit more forthcoming with information. Um, maybe you have somebody that has grown up and is finally in a position where they are able to speak. Um, we've had some cases that we've worked on where, um, we've had somebody who was 17 at the time and didn't feel like they were in a safe place to talk but now they are in their thirties and they're saying, now I'm ready to tell you what happened. I'm not, sometimes I'm not afraid of this person anymore. Um, and so that causes new information to come in. And then, then in the summer of 2010, investigators had a break in the case. Many wondered why did it take so long for the case to be reopened? Why did it take so long for an arrest? Well, as Agati said earlier, sometimes after time, things change. And decades later, witnesses may give details that can solve the case. In the summer of 2010, a 53-year-old man by the name of David McLeod was arrested and charged with four counts of reckless second-degree murder for the deaths of the Heine family. David was arrested in his West Sacramento, California home that he had been living at for the past 15 years. David moved to California shortly after the 1989 fire. 
David's wife, who was home at the time of his arrest, said she knew absolutely nothing about the allegations or even the fire until the police came knocking on her door. Her and David have two children together, two sons. David was a suspect in the original 1989 investigation, but no arrests were made at that time. It wasn't until 2009, when New Hampshire started their first cold case unit, that he was looked into again and arrested. Investigators looked back at police reports and learned that David has actually bragged about starting the fire that night. On that night in 1989, many of the witnesses were drunk and didn't want to cooperate with the police when first questioned. It was not until David was arrested and tried so many years later that people wanted to talk. Elizabeth Kennedy, the neighbor who tried to help the Hainas escape, recalled David bragging to her and her boyfriend about the fire. Quote, I did a good job, didn't I? End quote. While Kennedy did not want to talk about David in great detail, she did say, quote, We all suspected him because of the way he acted, the way he was. End quote. Why would he do this, though? Why would he burn down an apartment building with a family living in it? A family he didn't even know. Residents blamed David, saying he was probably there to get revenge against his ex-girlfriend, Wanda Ford, who lived in the apartment building at the time of the fire. More so, to get revenge against some of the male residents of the building for having relationships with his former girlfriend. It was also suspected he started the fire to get back at anyone living in the apartment building who he had felt given him a hard time. Whatever the reasons may have been, a family tragically died that night and likely weren't even the intended target. David was arrested in 2010, but the trial did not end up taking place until December of 2013. The reason it took so long for the case to start was because in 2011, David tried to appeal for bail, which he was denied. David was also pleading not guilty to all four murder charges. The trial involved a lot of he said, she said. And because many people did not come forward until more than 20 years later, David's attorneys presented a solid defense. David's lawyers argued that while he was at the party at the first floor apartment shortly before the fire, it was not him who started it. They argued that his so-called bragging about the fire was only him being, quote, a drunken fool, end quote. People who were at the party that night recalled David threatening to burn down the apartment only a couple weeks before the suspicious fire. Several partygoers also recalled David bragging about the fire as the apartment was building. They said he seemed happy that the building was up in flames and that he was just acting very strange for the tragedy that occurred that night. David's attorneys argued he didn't know that the family was trapped inside. Wanda Ford, David's ex-girlfriend, was the only witness that did not believe David set the fire. After a two-week trial, the jury could not reach a unanimous verdict. There was a retrial set for February of 2014. At least, that's when it was supposed to be. In February of 2014, after three and a half years behind bars, David McLeod walked away from Cheshire House of Corrections, a free man the state decided to drop all four murder charges against him and no longer retry him in April. They said there was no new evidence, so it would just be another mistrial. Attorney General Joseph A. Foster said, quote, 
After considering all those factors, especially the trial's court rulings and the information obtained from the jurors, it became clear to the state that a different outcome after a second trial was highly unlikely. End quote. And that's it. That's the end of this case. Even in times where prosecutors think they know who did it, if the evidence isn't there, it isn't there. And people like David McLeod get to walk away. Free. David McLeod has kept a low profile and refuses to talk to press since the trial ended in 2014. Thank you to the New Hampshire Cold Case Unit for contributing information for this story. Music in this episode was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. On to the next episode of Gone Cold, New Hampshire. In the next episode of Gone Cold, New Hampshire, the complicated story of John Pond Sr., Lily Gieber brings us through the story of criminals killing criminals.